Good morning. Boy, that was a uh, lovely time of worship. I really enjoyed that. Thanks, guys. Uh, Kids, you may be dismissed off to Children's Church. The rest of you, is your dampness drying out a little bit? My hunch is, who's, what, is it camera two right now? My hunch is many of you are at home with cocoa and fires, and you are watching church, and it counts, but we're a little bitter. Okay. We're, uh, we're glad you're here this morning. Um, this is the time of year where I am knee-deep in the middle of upward basketball and cheer, and I spend almost every day going to my computer to order something to buy on Amazon. How many people here love Amazon? Oh, wow. How many people here despise Amazon? How many? There are two types of shopping experiences. There are really two types of shoppers in the world. There are experience-driven shoppers. Do you know what I'm talking about? The people that want to take in the whole experience, right? It's all, if they want to take in every option, it's all about the journey, right? They want to take their times. They want to experience it. And right now, men, if you are looking over at your wife, um, let me give you a little something that might tickle your fancy. Take a look at this place called Shields. We're a sporting goods store that sells a little bit more than just sports equipment. We sell anything from shoes, clothes for men's, women's, and youth. All the way upstairs, we sell outdoor recreational gear from guns, hunting, couches, outdoor living furniture, as well as our sports equipment. We're not just a shopping experience, we're full on entertainment, almost center. We have a 45 foot Ferris wheel that is operational, so anyone and everyone can get on there. Um, we have a Jenna's Cafe and Fuzzy Wig, so you can grab breakfast, lunch, and dinner for under $10, and then a sweet treat un- um, afterwards. And then we do have our shooting gallery where you can play a few games. We have rollerball as well as an arcade. Uh, we stopped at a we stopped at a Shields on the way a back from a men's than. event a while ago. The closest one is in Reno, but it is like. Oh. How many people remember? How many people remember going to the mall? Remember when the mall was a thing? Malls are dying across America, right? Shopping's changed, though. In fact, in fact, they used to call it retail therapy. Anybody remember this? It's like I'm feeling bad. I just need a little retail therapy. Which, when you think about it, retail therapy might be better than real therapy. You ever go to real therapy? It costs two hundred dollars an hour. And when you leave, you go home and you look in the mirror and you're like, I'm still me. But if you go to retail therapy, let me tell you, the best therapy you will ever get is a salesperson in a mall store. Does anybody else know this? You walk into the mall store and and they immediately start showering you with compliments, right? I was walking in the mall one day, guy was, I was just feeling sort of a little down, a little mopey, and a guy comes running up to me from one of those center kiosks with a little back massager, and he's like, my man, my man, my man, you work hard, don't you? And I was like, no, not really. I'm a pastor, I only work one day a week, so. He goes, no, man, you work hard. And I was like, yeah, I do work hard, right? I'm starting to feel better about myself right now, right? You start to feel a little bit better. I love shopping at the mall. The mall has gone away at this point. But there are two kinds of shoppers in the world. And the second kind of shopper is this. They are mission-driven shoppers. How many are mission-driven shoppers? 
We will get in. We will get out. We will get exactly what we need. We will get back to the car in record time, and we will be home before we left. How many people? Do you know what I'm talking about here? Yeah, we have mission-driven shoppers, right? Uh, In fact, when Nicole and I are experiencing a tight financial month, we will make the Costco shopping list together, and on a particularly tight financial month, I will go to Costco alone. Do you understand why? It's about $150 cheaper if I go without her. Does that make sense? I'm a mission-driven shopper. If you go to the grocery store, you know this. Where do they keep the milk and the eggs in the grocery store? In the back. All the way in the back. Why do they do that? To make you walk all the way through the store. And when you are walking down those aisles towards the back of the store, on every aisle is what they call an end cap. They call that an end cap in the shopping industry. And, it, and, the, and the products pay to be there to distract you. To distract you from your mission, which is to go and get eggs and milk, or if it's in Costco, to get a $5 rotisserie chicken all the way in the back, right? You guys know that's true. It is to distract you. Now, I want to kind of open this up this morning by telling you this. We have a spiritual enemy who would love to distract you from the mission of our lives. We have a spiritual enemy that would love to distract you from the mission of our lives. Every disciple has, uh, every disciple has been given a mission. And this mission specifically comes from Jesus himself. And so this morning we are going to jump into what I call for a great mission. And if you've got an outline and you've got notes with you, get your pen ready. I didn't realize it till I looked afterwards. Man, you're going to fill in a lot of blanks today. Ready? Here we go, because uh, Glenn sort of outlined this journey of discipleship. And here's the first thing. It starts with a great call. And that was the first message that Glenn gave. It starts with a great call, and that call is to follow me. Jesus says, follow me. That's followed out with rooted on a great commandment. Love God and love others is the great commandment that Jesus gave us as disciples, to love God and love others. As citizens of a great kingdom, And that kingdom is the kingdom of God. It's a future kingdom, but it's also a present kingdom now, one that we live in when we become disciples of Jesus Christ. And we are moved by this great compassion that Glenn talked about last week, and it's for these people who are lost and hurting, people who are lost in sin, this great compassion. And today, we are going to talk about for a great commission, the great commission is to make disciples, disciples who make disciples. So we're going to look at that this morning, the Great Commission. I learned a long time ago as a preacher that if a Bible verse is well-known, so well-known that it has a title like the Great Commission, don't get cute with it. Just preach it. It speaks for itself. It leaps off the page. So we're going to look at this, these verses at the end of Matthew. These are the last few verses of the Gospel of Matthew Some Bible commentators will point out that these are probably not Jesus' last words, but they were the last words that Matthew recorded of Jesus, and so they probably are pretty important. So, Jesus' last instructions for the disciples, I want to paint the scene for you, so put on your your Apple Vision goggles and, and try and understand where they were and what it was happening in this moment. Matthew 28, 16 through 18. Then the who... There's 11 disciples, right? Judas is not with them anymore. Left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them. And when they saw him, they what? They worshiped him. They're seeing Jesus. After the resurrection, they worshiped him. But some of them 
That's an interesting phrase to me. You're looking at Jesus after the resurrection and still some of them doubted. I love that because sometimes I doubt no matter all the things that I've seen Jesus do in my life. And it says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given what? All authority where? In heaven and where else? He says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. So what I want you to see from this is Jesus starts this great commission with his authority. Now, I want you to picture this. This is Jesus, resurrected Jesus. Jesus who, if you recall, a little incident with Thomas, he's still got holes in his hands, right? Holes in his feet. He's got got a gaping hole in his side where where a sword pierced him, right? And he's saying this. He's saying, I have been given all authority on heaven and on earth, right? Okay, Jesus. Yes, absolutely. I agree. We're on the edge of our seat Give it to us, and here's the Great Commission. It starts with go. It starts with go. And uh, the scripture says, if those of you who have memorized it, it says, therefore, go. Now, I learned a long time ago when I was going through graduate school that whenever you read the word therefore, you have to ask, what is it? What is it there for? What is he talking about? And what he's talking about, and the reason I had us read those verses before, is the verses right before. Jesus is saying, therefore, because I've been given all authority on heaven and earth, because of all that you've seen, me crucified and resurrected, because of all the miracles you've witnessed, because of all the teaching that you've heard, he goes, therefore, what does he say? Go. He says, go. Now, um, I think that we have lost this in the church a little bit today. I think that in the church, We have convinced ourselves that if we are good Jesus followers, all we got to do is get people to come to church. Come to my community group. Come to this program or this concert or this. If I can just invite you and get you to come, that somehow I am living out the Great Commission. And and the truth of the matter is, is Jesus says what? Go. Go. He says, go, right? And we've created this generation of what I would call spiritual spectators. Where if I can just get you to show up to something, then maybe I'm fulfilling the Great Commission. But Jesus asked his disciples to go, and he wants us to go. In fact, in the book of Acts, we see some of Jesus' actual last words, where he says, but you will receive power when the who? Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my what? Witnesses, telling people about me where? Everywhere. In? Throughout where? And? And? The ends of the earth. Now, you've probably heard this verse before, too. It's a very famous verse. I've talked about it not too long ago. The geography of this command is that Jesus is in Jerusalem when he's saying this. And he's talking about Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. These are concentric circles, right? It's a little bit like me saying, go to Lodi, go to Park West, go to downtown, go to East Lodi, go to Woodbridge, go to, what is that neighborhood over by Costco called? The Costco neighborhood. Within walking distance of Costco. Sounds like a nice place. Okay. But go there. And then, and then you would make a concentric circle where you would say, go to North Stockton. Go to Galt. Go to Lockford. Right? And, and you would continue to have that circle expand. Go to places like Manteca and Modesto and Tracy. Go to Elk Grove. Go to, go to Clements. Go to uh, Valley Springs. Go to, and you just keep going and going. Go to Sacramento. Go to the Bay Area. Right? Go to Fresno and Bakersfield. He's saying, go, go. 
Go, right? It's, it's, it's not that hard. 20 years ago, my go, when God said go to me, was I was to go to Elk Grove. Anybody who knows my story knows this. this is, I, was, I went to Elk Grove, and people are like, well, that isn't very far, Steve. Here's the thing. I didn't know a soul in Elk Grove. When I went to Elk Grove, I had never lived there. I had no ties to Elk Grove. I didn't know anyone there. And God said, go to this little church, meaning in an elementary school cafetorium, and there was 25 people in this little church, and God said, go. Now, we heard God say go when Nicole and I were down in Southern California candidating at a church of 2,500 people. And I said to Nicole, this is stupid. This is career suicide. But we're supposed to go to those weird people in Elk Grove. And my wife looked at me and she said, I was waiting for you to get there. Yeah, we are. We're supposed to go. And so we went to Elk Grove. If, if those of you who know, I had finished up ministry here. I was literally commuting from Lodi to Elk Grove to go where God had commanded me to go. Five years ago, God said, go back to Lodi. I said, what are you talking about? God, make up your mind already, would you? Right? I, I was living in Elk Grove and in a ministry transition period of my life, we were seeking God. We had all these opportunities, all these different places. And suddenly God said, I want you to go back to Lodi. And in a strange twist of fate, I was commuting from Elk Grove back to Lodi. And then we bought a house that was exactly one street over and two streets over from our old house. But God said, go. And so I went. And here's the thing I've learned. I don't want to go any place that God doesn't have me to go. We, we, we go where God calls us to go. And the question becomes, where are you supposed to go? Like if God called you, would you go? If God really called you to go someplace, would you go? Now I have a crazy story to tell you. Yesterday at Upward, yesterday at Upward, I was walking through the lobby of Upward. There are thousands of people that come and go throughout Upward. And one of my coaches came up to me. Now I recognize this guy, but I don't know his name. There are 200 plus coaches at Upward. And he walked up to me and he said, and he just said, hey Steve, I just want to tell you how important Upward has been to our family. Um, All of my kids have gone up through Upward and it's just made such a difference for our family. I'm just so thankful for the program and I'm just thankful for your effort to run it. And I said, well, that's great, thank you. And he handed me this envelope and I said, hey man, that's not necessary. You know, we do this, this is our gift to the community. And he said, I know. He goes, but this is my gift to you. And I said, okay, you know, thank you very much. And, and so there was people running around and I was still doing things and I'm holding on to this envelope and he leaves and goes out the front door and I go back to my office eventually and I open this envelope and inside this envelope are two tickets to the Super Bowl. In Las Vegas next week. Two tickets to the Super Bowl. I go running out of my office, out to the parking lot to find this guy, and he is gone, and I don't know his name at all. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think I am going to the Super Bowl next week? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, I'm going to the Super Bowl. Where's Glenn? I'm using a vacation day next Sunday. Wouldn't that be cruel, cool if that was a true story, though? Wouldn't that be, it'd be such a great story if it was a true story. By the way, if you want to give me tickets to the Super Bowl, I am open. I am open. I would love to meet Taylor Swift. Anyway, 
Do you think anything could stop me from going to the Super Bowl if somebody would have given me that kind of a gift? Nothing would stop me. I would go no matter what, even if it wasn't the Niners playing, right? But I would go. Now, I want you to imagine that if God gave you a gift and told you to go somewhere, and inside of that envelope was a gift that you had that offered eternal life, the kingdom of heaven, to people who are lost in their sin and have no opportunity to get there without this gift, would you go? Would you go? Because that's what we've been given, right? Seven billion people on this planet. Roughly two billion know Jesus. That is five billion people lost in their sin. Think about just Lodi. There are 65,000 people that live in Lodi. Can you imagine how many of them are lost in their sin? And if we had the ticket to eternal life, wouldn't you go to them? That's the point I'm trying to make. We have the ticket. And, and there's an interesting thing about that word go. That word go, any uh, English teachers in the audience here, the, uh, as you look at that word go, the form of the verb is called the present participle. The better way to translate that word go is going. Going. In fact, you see the I-N-G on your outline there, right? Uh, Jesus said, while you are going, that's the way this really translates, while you are going, because we're always going. Anybody here always going? We're going to the store. We're going to church. We're going to work. We're going to, I, it's so funny to watch people at Upward. They're going to Upward, and then they're going to another game, and then they're going to this, and they're going to that. We're always going, right? So uh, along the way, he says, let's go. And, and here's the question that I want to ask you. Where are you already going? Where does God already have you going in your world and in your life? The places that you frequent all the time where you already have some relationships, a place where you can be a light, where do you naturally go and spend time and make your relationships? A few weeks ago, I was uh, in a gym. It's a CrossFit gym. A guy in our church invited me to his gym, and we were having a conversation there. He was telling me about the way he approaches his business. He was telling me that at his CrossFit gym, he was having Bible studies, and he was having all these spiritual conversations with people that were coming to work out. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the Great Commission. He's already going there, right? He's going there for work. These people are already going there. They're going there to work out and to, and to get in shape. And in the process, disciples are being made, and disciples are being strengthened. And so as you are going, but for some of you, God may be calling you to go someplace new. Where might God be calling you to go, right? He might be making some changes in your life, and you may not even like those changes. Every time that I was being moved from Elk Grove or or moved from Lodi, I was thinking, oh, God, I don't really want to do this. But I see in hindsight how God was moving me so that I could do the things that he had called me to do. Maybe God's moving you to a new job or to a new a new neighborhood or a new gym, I don't know, a new ministry. See, Paul, in his ambition, always wanted to go someplace new. He wanted to start a new work. Look what it says here in Romans 15. It says, my ambition has always been to preach the what? I just want to preach the good news where the name of Christ has what? His greatest goal was to show up someplace where they had no idea who Jesus was. And rather than where a church has already been started by someone else, and so we saw that he moved around and he, and, he, and he planted new churches. And the question might be is, where is God calling you to go? Maybe God is calling you to go someplace new. 
You may not even want to go. You may go kicking and screaming. But he's calling you to someplace new. For some of you, it may be missions. We've got missions efforts in places like Tanzania. I'm taking a team to Guatemala in just a little while. Nepal, you guys heard about at Christmas. Where is God calling you? By the way, he is not calling you to Texas, Tennessee, or Idaho. Okay? You want to reach lots of people, stay here in California. Okay? But, but God may be calling you someplace new and to go and make disciples. So what do we do when we get there after we've gone? Well, we make disciples. We make disciples. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, right? It doesn't say to make converts. It doesn't say to make it doesn't say to preach sermons. It doesn't say to, to make church members. It doesn't say to raise the attendance of your church. It says make disciples. And the question is, what is a disciple? Well, we've been unpacking this for weeks at this point. The simplest term for a disciple is an apprentice, someone who is following along with you. A disciple attaches himself to its master, is identified with him, right? And, and he learns from him, and he lived with him, uh, is covered in the dust of his rabbi. Anybody watch The Chosen? been watching The Chosen a little bit recently. It's always so weird to me, all these people wandering along and they're staying at somebody's house together and then they're going to this other place together. That's what discipleship was. It was, they were an apprentice. They were a follower. They don't learn by just listening. They learn by doing with their teacher. And so we have to ask this question. We're here in the Great Commission. Is this Great Commission descriptive or prescriptive? You know what that means? Like, is it just describing something that happened in the Bible, or is this prescriptive for all believers? Jesus in Matthew chapter 17 tells Peter, go, he has to pay taxes, and he says, Peter, go and stick your line into the water, and you'll pull out a fish, and in that fish will be a coin, and you can go pay our taxes with that. Is that descriptive or prescriptive? In April, when your taxes are due, is everyone going to be at Lodi Lake? Not necessarily, right? Right? It's, it's descriptive. But this, I believe, what do you think? It's prescriptive, right? It, it, this is the way we're supposed to live our life, right? Uh, it's not just, the goal of this Christian life is just not to be just a little more sin-free. I'm just a little bit better this week. That's not it. It's to make disciples, every one of us. I word it like this. It's every disciple, making disciples everywhere. Every one of us has someone that we are living life with, that we are impacting spiritually, and that we are drawing closer to Jesus every day and in every way, everywhere. Every disciple making disciples everywhere. In fact, Acts chapter 10 says this, and he ordered us to what? Where? Everywhere. And to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that who? Everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. And so the question I would ask you this morning is, who are you discipling right now? Who are you discipling? Who is it that you have in your life that you are walking with and that you are bringing closer to Jesus? Because people reach people. People teach people, but people reach people. Programs can help, like Upward and, and, and Bible studies and, and Mom the Mom and all the things that we do around here. They can help. Church services help. This helps. It really does. 
But people reach people. Now I want to make sure that nobody hears me saying that somehow this is all in our own power. It is the Holy Spirit baked into all of this. Baked into you. Baked into me. Working at all times on the people that we are discipling. This is in the power of God that we're doing it. But it doesn't relieve us of the opportunity. The joy of walking alongside somebody to make them a disciple. And I'm not talking about... A dozen people. Jesus was extraordinary. He had a dozen. I'm talking about one or two people. One or two people. You're drawing closer to Jesus. Can you imagine if every person in this church had one person come to the Lord in the next year? You would have bigger problems than just, I can't find a parking space at 945. Right? It, it, would be, it would begin to change things, not only in our church, but in our community, right? Are we bringing people closer to Jesus? Because that's what discipleship is all about. And Jesus has said, in fact, we see in the scripture in 2 Peter, God is, God is all about this. God is patient with this. There's that verse in 2 Peter that says, the Lord isn't really slow about bringing about his promise, right? As some people think, no, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Like God is saying, go get them. Like I'm, I'm waiting for them. There is somebody in your life that God is like, I am just waiting for that person to become a follower, to become a disciple. And once you bring them closer to Jesus, And begin that process of making disciples, we baptize them. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It says, therefore go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And being baptized, by the way, is the only reaction to being saved in the Bible. It's the only reaction. Repent and be baptized. We hear it over and over again in Scripture. Repent and be baptized. When you figure out that you're a sinner... You repent of that, and the next step is to be baptized. Um, There's no such thing as an unbaptized believer in the New Testament church. They all did it. They all repented and were baptized over and over and over again. We see this because baptism is the way that we identify ourselves with Jesus by being baptized. We are saying, I am identified with Jesus. That's who I'm a disciple of, is Jesus. In Romans 6, 4, it says it this way. For we died and were buried with who? By how? By baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may what? It's this picture of being identified with Christ and raised with Christ, right? It symbolizes the death to our old life and our old sinful life, our old out of control, destructive behavior, sinful way of doing things, right? And it symbolizes this rebirth that we have, and we're a new person. But it also identifies us as part of a family. When you're baptized, you're identified as a part of a family of God. And when we do that here, we say, hey, publicly we want you to do this because we want you to know we're with you. You don't have to do this discipleship thing alone. We are with you. You're part of a family, a family of believers. And we want to do this thing together. I I told Glenn earlier this year, I said, wouldn't it be cool if every single Sunday this year we had somebody get baptized? If you've been around this year, we've had a lot of baptisms already. It is barely February. And I just said to Glenn, I said, wouldn't it be awesome if every week we had somebody saying, I'm ready, I want to get baptized. In fact, Glenn and I had this conversation where I said, man, if anybody says they're ready to get baptized, our answer should always be yes, let's do it next Sunday. 
Yes, let's do it next Sunday. We, we used to save up people and get them together in a group, but now I just said, hey, if, if, if anybody is ready, they said, today's the day I'm ready to go public for Jesus, fill up the, fill up the baptistry, and let's get them baptized, because that is the response, repent and be baptized. And so my question to you is, and to anybody that you may be making disciples alongside is, who's ready to be baptized? It may be your time. It may be time that you say I'm all in. It's time to go all in and be baptized for this thing that I believe I want to be a disciple. And so we, we share that uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says it this way. Some of us are Jews. Some are Gentiles. Some are slaves and some are free. But we have what? We've all been baptized into what? One body and what? And we all share the... We've all been baptized into one body, one spirit. We all share the same spirit. We are all disciples together of Jesus Christ. And so who's ready to be baptized, right? When you're ready, we dunk them, and that's how we roll around here, all right? And then we spend the rest of our lives, after you've gone through that process, teaching them. In fact, the last instruction is to teach. Teach them to obey. Uh, It says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And I would tell you that you can't just win people to the Lord, dunk them, and then say, good luck. You're on your own. Anybody do any training at work? Train a new employee? You give them that first little bit of training. Are they back in your office that next week? Are they back in your office three times a day that next week? Because they still need to understand how everything works around here, right? That's what we do. We, we, what kind of Christians would we have if we just said, good luck, go for it? We have to continue to teach them. And listen, I get it. This book, I don't know how many people have been following along, been doing 90 days of reading with Jesus. This is a thick book with a lot of stuff. And some of it I read and is immediately applicable to my life. And then sometimes I read the book of Leviticus. Not all of them are page turners, people, okay? I'm actually kind of glad we've been doing the life of Jesus because every morning I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember. Oh, yeah, that's great. That's good stuff. There's stuff that's weird, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I got questions about that, right? But even the guys that know this book inside and out, we continue to learn. I can't believe how often I'm reading these 90 days with Jesus, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's weird. I wonder what that means. And I think I've been studying this book for 30 years, and, and there's still stuff that I'm like, I'm not exactly sure how, how that plays out. Why in the world would Jesus do that? And and the truth of the matter is, is that we are in this together to teach this book to one another again and again and again. I heard this quote, he who ceases to learn cannot adequately teach. You got to keep learning it so you can keep teaching it to other people. We, We remain students of life, students of our culture, right? But students of this book. And that's the only way we can effectively keep teaching these people. So the question becomes, who in your life can you teach? Who can you teach? Who is on this journey with you that you can learn together? Maybe you've got a little more knowledge than them, but I guarantee you their questions are going to push you and have you learn more and learn more. Because there are people you can teach that I will never reach. There are people that will look at me and think, that guy doesn't have a clue. He doesn't know what my life is about, but they think you're cool. 
And you will have an opportunity to teach them and walk alongside them. Um, and if you don't teach them, you, they'll never learn. 2 Timothy 2.2 is one of my favorite verses as a youth pastor for so many years. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now catch this. Now teach these truths to who? Other trustworthy people who will be able to what? You see the, see the process? I teach. You learn, you learn, you teach, they learn, they teach, and it just keeps going, going, and going. Listen, by the way, do you know this? You are not a golfer if you've just hit a few golf balls. Do you know that? You're not a golfer. But if you continue to learn, and if you continue to practice, and if you continue, then you become a golfer, right? You you don't let them go off by themselves. You've got to continue to walk with them. So that is the Great Commission, which leads me to, so what, Steve, what do I do with this? What is the finished result of being a disciple? Well, I would argue we're always on this discipleship process. We're always doing that. But I think if most people are honest about their lives, if you're honest about what you're looking for in life, most people would answer it this way. I am looking for happiness. I'd like to be happy. Maybe success. Maybe I just like to be fulfilled a little bit. That's what most of us want. We want happiness and success. I mean, are you happy? Are you happy? Are you happy? Are you successful? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess. But, but the truth of the matter is this, is that we look at our lives and we think, am I happy? Am I successful? Am I fulfilled? Could I be more happy? Oh, yeah, I could be. I wish this were really Super Bowl tickets. Could I be more successful? Yeah, I could probably be more. Could I be more fulfilled? Is the pursuit of life always just chasing the next level of happiness, success, and fulfillment? Because that sounds terrible to me. Or do you want to live on a mission for Jesus Christ? That I can get my hands around. Jesus says, if you will sell out to this mission, to this great commission of making disciples and being a disciple and continuing that process, here's what you get. You get me. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You get me, is what Jesus says. I was watching a media on, uh, a video on social media this week. It was a guy who's very successful, entrepreneur guy, and they said, um, it was, they were asking him a spiritual question. They said, if, if, if you lost everything today, but you could keep Jesus, what would that be like? And the guy just immediately got emotional. He said, you could take everything from me today, just don't take Jesus. Because I don't know where your life is going to go. I don't know what twists and turns they're going to say, but Jesus' very presence is what he promises. He will be with you. He will walk with you. When things are rotten, he will be there. When things are going well, he will be there. No matter what the twists and turns of your life, Jesus says, you get me. Came across this video this week. Take a look at it. What's the craziest thing you found? Gold. Gold and cash. Cartier watches, all kinds of stuff, diamonds, everything. There's nothing you can't find in New York City. So the way this industry works is people who have nothing go and they pick up the cans and bottles. Then we call a truck. So this truck goes and the driver gets one penny that he collects per bottle. Then the company that picks up the bottles from him 
gets eight and a half cents. How much do you make? Anywhere from four to $800 a week. You know, it sounds foolish, but what I do is I take the pot and pan on a Saturday and Sunday. I'll, go, I'll be in uh, Jackson Heights and I'll go sell it for five, seven dollars. So I make another thousand dollars every weekend from the stuff I find during the week. <laughs> I have to laugh because I've been doing it for so long. I've been living off of it. So in a week you have a couple grand maybe? 14, 15, 18, depends on the week. It depends on the weather. Because if I could be out in a summer day every day, I would sell all day every day. I'd make 3000 a week. Easy, easy. You grew up in New York? I grew up in New York, grew up in Queens. Met my wife down here, had three beautiful babies with her. Came up, involved in some not too good business. And uh, I got in trouble, got locked up, lost my wife and kids. So that's why I'm in this mess picking up It must up have cans. been very illegal. Was it like the FBI or something that got involved? The FBI got me. Uh, I was smuggling drugs, marijuana. Just marijuana? Just marijuana. And people. Oh, and people. Yeah. Okay. That's the real money. Millions and millions of dollars. We used to drive boats to the Bahamas, the Bimini, different islands, and bring them over to the United States. How'd you get caught? I got ratted on. Somebody told on me. So they got off on probation and I got 10 years. Do you regret anything? Oh, yeah. I regret everything. Lost my wife and kids. I didn't get to see any of the grandchildren be born. I missed a lot of stuff, man. You seem to be able to hold that pain together pretty well though you don't what am i gonna do i got no more tears i'm all cried out now all i do is i can only be joyful and laugh and have a good life because it's soon gonna it's soon gonna end i'm 60. what were you like in the past a little crazy a little reckless i used to have big muscles and great hair and girls thought i was cute so i took advantage of all of that and, and uh it's not the right way to be so now i'm a christian i do the right thing i do my very best to walk properly to love the others you know Milton, I didn't expect to see you here. Tell me about your relationship with God. Woo! So there's a great scripture in the Word of God from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. It says, For God has chosen you before the foundation of the world. What that means to me is before Genesis 1-1, He had already chosen those who He chose. I was called in June of 1993 I gave my life to the Lord. I was in jail. The three ladies came from the Bronx to preach I just felt led in my spirit to say, okay, I, I, I think you're telling the truth. I agree. I'll accept. Since 1993, which is 30 years ago, I've screwed up a million times. I've been used of God a million times, but I've screwed up a million times. And I've come to the conclusion after 30 years that truly, truly God knew who I was and what I was going to do and what I was going to become. And he knew I would pick up cans one day before it ever happened. That scripture helps me to realize that when I fail, you know, don't please or do the things of God. He still loves me. He still cares for me because he chose me in Christ. He seated me at his right hand in heavenly places. I'm seated there right now, whether I deserve it or not. Is that hope you have for the future, something you hold on to now? It's difficult, but... I've seen so many miracles and so many spiritual things that I firmly with all my heart believe that God is real. And therefore, I believe His promises in the Word. And I stand on them. I don't deserve it, but thank God for His grace, you know? Hola, Amanda. That's my friend Amanda. Eric, Hi. it didn't come out yet, love. Count your stuff. Milton's coming back in 15 minutes. John, here's a question for you. Talk to me. When you get to heaven, what are you going to ask God? I, why'd you choose me? <laughs> like, who am I? That you, cho <laughs> you chose me. <laughs>
lights. I can walk on the streets made of gold. You got a house with me up there? Look at those streams and rivers and angels. Oh, I'm good to go. I'd be so, I couldn't stop smiling down here. I'm going to stop smiling up there. <laughs> what do you think he would say of you? You could have did so much better. I had so much more for you. You big dummy. <laughs> what do you have to say to someone who's trying to believe in God but can't? Simplest answer ever. I heard it from a young boy. God, 15 seconds of your time. Bow down and say, Lord, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Speak to me. I could keep you here all day, Eric, with stories. My God has been great to me. And I appreciate you coming around to encourage me and invigorate me again about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> How are we doing, ladies? How's life? Great. Ephesians 1.4 says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy without fault in his eyes. I don't know why God chose me. But God has disciples floating around this world, collecting cans on the street to the CEO and the boardroom in corporations. And our whole mission in this world is to continue that discipleship process. The point of all this discipling, the point of that present participle word is, the, is, is ing, ing, ing. And what ing means is more and more and more. And so I want to leave you with one verse. This discipleship process is just one that goes on and on and on and creates more and more disciples and gives God more and more glory. 2 Corinthians 4.15. Here's the last verse for you this morning. It says this. It says all of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. Don't try to live a life where you're just a little bit more sin-free. Embrace this idea that you've been chosen and that you are called to live a life of discipleship. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to live for you. God, I'm thankful that I don't know why you chose me, and I'm sure you had so much more for me because I'm a big dummy too. But God, I just pray that today as we leave here, we would understand the commission that you've called us to, the mission that you have for our lives, God, that we might lead more and more people to to you, God, and that you might receive more and more glory, God, more and more, all for you, all about you. In that precious name we pray of Jesus, amen.